Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the long and the short of it. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. How well do you know your wines? From the simple to the complex, from acidity to Zinfandel. Welcome to Wine, the long and the short of it. My name is Antonia Dominguez, the long. And my name is Linda Coogan, the short. Between us, we have over 30 years collective experience in wine buying, wine retail and wine education. Every week we discuss a topic, product or trend from the world of wine. Welcome everyone to this week's episode and today we are going to cover all things rosé. Um, we're stepping into spring, heading into summertime and I personally think it is a very worthy topic to cover because I'm a rosé all year round type of drinker. How about you Antonia? Yeah I I know that's kind of where the trend is going but personally I have to say I'm a little bit more seasonal when it comes to my rosé drinking just because you know it's something you have chilled, it's summery and I wouldn't tend to pull one out in the middle of winter now I have to say. It, I think it's because I don't think to do it more. more yeah. so. No, no. I, and that's fine. You know, each and everybody can do what they want with rosé. I usually have a bottle in the fridge all year round as long as well as a bottle of champagne. So, you know, what can I say? Yeah, well, that's fair enough. But <laughs> I ask you what your go to is um, towards the end. Excellent. OK, so today we are going to talk about um, the different wine styles of rosé, um, how rosé is made. And I, as you said, we're going to see which is your favourite tipple at the moment of rosé and a couple of listener questions. And of course, a quiz. Yay! Antonia, you're going to kick off telling us a bit about the different wine styles and how rosé wines can be made. Yeah. Okay. So look, I'll kick off with the obvious one, the Provence style, the pale coloured rosé. It's made by what's called direct press method. So, um, okay, let's start with the the preface that rosés are all about skin contact because you get your colour from the skins, you get texture tannin from the skins, and you also get flavour compounds from the skins. So, The time that the juice spends in contact with the skins will determine the style. It'll determine things like the depth of the color, the concentration of the flavor and so on. So your Provence style rosé is very much about gentle pressing those bunches or those D-stem grapes and then uh, racking the juice almost immediately off the skins. So it's only deriving a very little color from from the grapes, from the grape skins. And that's direct press. And the whole goal there is to have a very pale colored rosé with a delicate flavor profile. So you'll get citrus, you should get some red berry fruit, depending on where it's from, you know, fresh acidity. And then maybe, for example, Provence, you'd have quite tart acidity. You'd have maybe some saline minerality, Um, nice kind of foodie wines. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, regions have tried to replicate that style so you're getting pale colored rosés from lots of regions now even though it all kind of kick-started with whispering angel (laughs) you kind of put that style on the map and you have now producers from all over the languedoc 
from Italy, from California, from Spain, you know, making that style. And we'll might go into the whys, um, you know, as and yeah, yeah. pose the that question mark as to, you know, is pale pale are pale colored roses the be all and end all, you know? So well, yeah, so that's a, a question, all right, yeah, that I've got in on. So yeah, we'll definitely answer that. Yeah, yeah, great. So that's it. And I mean, uh, depending on your um, where you're making your your rosé, they you can you may or may not be allowed to sort of use white grapes um, in terms of co-pressing and co-fermenting. And um, so one example is in Provence where they make either rosés from a blend of red grape varieties like Sanso and uh, Grenache and Syrah, Mouvedre they can also use roll, which is also known as Vermentino, the white grape variety. Yeah, you can't... I indeed. always forget that that name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. wrong. Mm. I'll talk about blending in a minute. We have we know tons of examples. We've talked about them before. Whispering Angel, Miraval, its little baby sister studio. Um, you know, there's tons and tons of examples out there. So that's direct press, and that's your kind of pale-coloured delicate uh, Provence style rosé. Um, so can I ask you, it doesn't, it's not that much effort or work to make something like that then? Oh God, I think producers are probably screaming at you right now. We're saying, <laughs> yeah, but like, this is the thing. it's like, uh, you know, what's the big deal? You just get your grapes and you gently press them. What's the problem? Why is rosé so expensive? Uh, sorry, I should say that a lot of those Provence style, the, the higher quality ones are, um, the higher quality expressions, probably a lot of them spend time on the lees. So three or four months on the lees for added texture and that kind of creamy mouthfeel. Yeah. So okay. it's not, I mean, yeah, I can think of other wines that are, you know, fresh, fruity, youthful, that are literally pressed, fermented, bottled and off you go. I think, I think I would like to think that a bit more love and care goes into a really top quality Provence style rosé. But maybe okay. Marketing at play. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, another method used to make rosé wines is called saigné, which is French term. What now? Say what now? Which is a French term for um, meaning to bleed or in Spanish sangrado. And um, like a lot of rosés are made using this method, especially in Spain. I think there are a lot of Spanish rosés or rosados are made. Um, I can think of, for example, Chivite. I don't know if you know them. They're a great producer. Um, what it is, is it's really a, um, a method that makes rosés as a sort of a byproduct of um, a technique they use for making red wine. So basically producers will leach off some of that free run juice in order to concentrate the existing must for a red wine. Are you with me still or have I lost? I, no, just, I suppose. Yeah. So they let some flow yeah. off and they want to, they, they already decide at the outset that they want to make a red and a rosé. Yeah. So they blend it red. off. So they, they, okay. Okay. Yeah. They're making, they want to make a more con- concentrated, robust red. And it's mm-hmm. kind of, like basically yeah, t- taking off a, a part of it, leaching off a little bit of the free run juice. And that's like at, at the very early stages, but just when it's being, pre- when the grapes are being pressed. So that's very lightly colored. And okay. that's very traditional in terms of, you know, rosé winemaking. It's probably 
one of the, the, the initial ways that they made rosés. And um, yeah, as I say, yeah, there's a, there are a lot of great rosés being made by the Seigneur method. Um, I suppose one argument is, though, that uh, typically for a rosé, your grapes will be picked about two like say if you're you're using red grapes, which is in the majority of cases, you're picking those right. red grapes two weeks before you would pick your red your your red grapes for a red wine because you're looking to retain acidity it and acidity. Fresh, yeah, okay, yeah and fresh aromatics. So as a result, you you know you you pick them a little bit earlier. Acidity is important in rosés. You know that that freshness is really important. So, um. So, so with the Seigneur method, you're really using grapes that have been picked at the same time you would pick for red wines. So there is maybe an argument that, you know, well, you can't have as much acidity then in the, in the resulting wine, you know, or you might lose a bit of freshness as a result. But I have to say, I, I don't find that in a lot of cases. I, I, I'm a huge fan, a lot of Spanish Rosanos, that Chivite being an example. And, uh, I yeah I, I think the acidity is is great in that particular wine in that particular example. I'm not saying that all of them are great, but yeah, that's just another method they use. And how would nobody would actually know how the wine is made by looking at a bottle or anything like that, would they? I don't think so. I mean, you might argue that the color might be a little bit deeper, but I mean, okay. I have tons of examples where they're 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 still pale, yeah. pale kind of that okay. onion skin peel kind of color. And I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see a huge difference, maybe a touch, just a touch darker than your typical Provence. But then I think Provence have gone so extreme in keeping it like super pale. So pale. It's like sometimes you're like, what color is this? Put a color description. You can't because it's, it's so pale. Like some of the, some of the like salmon pink, you know, all of these, you're like, well, what color is a transparent Kind of rosé. I don't know. And I think that's more about about aesthetics than mm-hmm. what it actually does for the wine, you know. So, um, yeah, so that's Seigneur. And then the third method would be what's just called a short maceration. So mm-hmm. just leaving your most your grape juice on the skins for a short period of time. So maybe like a couple of hours, maybe depending on the grape variety, eight to 12 hours, maybe a day or two max. So you're inevitably going to get a darker colored rosé from this method because, you know, your your most your grape juice is spending more time on the skins. And um, and it again, it dep- depends on the grape variety, because obviously highly pigmented grape varieties like, you know, a Mouved or something like that, a Cabernet Franc will, uh, will be thick skinned. And, you know, even a short period of time on those skins will extract a lot of color, a lot of flavor. Um, so yeah, so the time of Where, us- whereas a Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir rose would be much paler in color, even exactly. if I had the same amount of time. Okay, okay, or longer. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but like examples of short maceration, um, the Tavel rosés from the Rhone region. You mentioned this in a quiz before. Something about Tavel. All wines produced from Tavel are rosés. It's a it's an appellation for rosé wine. Um, Bandol, again, down in the Languedoc area, um, makes rosés from Mouvedre, again, a thicker skin, sort of a grape variety. And actually, there's a, a producer there called La, La Bastide Blanche in Bandol. And the winemaker there, Nicolas Bronzo, says um, 
you know, move out. It just gives more color, um, but it also gives more complexity, more structure. And he kind of says um, the trend towards pale rosés has really influenced winemaking techniques. In some cases, you have to deliberately make an effort not to make your rosé too dark, you know, because... Okay going to have a commercial impact and um, so yeah so he says we 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 solved this by regulating the skin contact so that's short maceration and i just want to mention as well blending because blending of say say you make your red wine say you make a red wine and you make a white wine right they've been their grape juice has been fermented into a wine you can't just make in the eu it's not permitted to make a rosé by blending a red wine and a white wine together you can't do that with one exception Rosé champagne. champagne. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but in the new I'm world- sorry, why why not? Do they not think that that's going to be good enough quality or there's enough methods to do it anyway? No, because they believe what? the flavour of the wine comes from the extraction of the skins of the, your black or red grapes during fermentation. And that's a very different flavour profile that, than what you would get by blending a red wine and a white wine. Um, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. So it is permitted in the new world. There is an example. Um, I think Torres, Miguel Torres makes one in Chile. It's called a Digno Riesling Rosé. And it's a blend mm. of Riesling wine and a Sanso. And he produces it just for the Finnish market. Apparently some MW who mm. is in charge of an import company there came up with the idea and, and requested it and he made it for them. It's really interesting. Yeah, like when you said Riesling, I was like, Riesling on a rosé. That's bizarre. There you go. There you go. So the new world, as we discussed recently, you know, has a little bit more leniency. It can kind of be more flexible with what they can do. So uh, there you go. There's an example. What's it called? Torres. Oh, it's called uh, the um, Torres Chili Digno Riesling Rosé, I believe. Yeah. But it's exactly that. It's a great example of what we were talking about in the last episode. I didn't mention oak age rosés. And I think they are worth a mention because there are some brilliant examples out there. Um, so, like, I mean, obviously they're more gastronomic when you put a rosé in an oak barrel um, to age. You're looking for a more savoury profile. You're looking, you're going to develop nutty aromas. Um, and and things that make a rosé just a really good food wine. So, but the, like this would be the exception. Do you know what I mean? Like, so if I I hosted a hen party recently and I was saying, you know, rosés in general, you know, buy them that year, drink them up. You know, they're not supposed to be kept. This particular one had a glass closure, you know, and you're not going to obviously very pale in colour. So what you're talking about would be an exception. I yeah. Suppose. yeah. Okay. Yes, definitely. And more premium. So the example I was going to give is the, the Chateau de Clan, which is the producer for Whispering Angel. They have a wine called Garousse. And okay. I think it retails for like 200 euro plus or something. And that a bottle. Yeah. Sure, any macaroni. Yeah, that one is um, aged in oak. Um, you have the, the, the other really well-known one is from... Um, Lopez Heredia, it's the Viña Tondonia Grande. Yeah, that's the, that's the one that I know. Yeah, that you like, and that's much deeper in color, and yeah. it is an acquired taste, isn't it? Like, it, it's not what you expect from a rosé. Yeah, and I mean, it's had four years in oak 
It's a mm-hmm. long time and it gives it like lots of weight, lots of texture, lots of kind of nutty complexity, as opposed to the fresh, delicate fruit of the beautiful styles of rosé. Mm-hmm. Those are two examples that we would frequently get in um, blind tasting in the in the NW program. So um, I think they're really worth tasting and at least once, you know, just to see what they're about, because they are really interesting. They're very savory. And I mean, I love I remember I was in Madrid and sure, I always love being in Madrid and the food experiences I have there and wine. But um, I was brought to like um, it, what, what's called an arroceria, which is it, technically it mean that that means rice house, basically. So you have all your paellas, all your arroces, all your rice based dishes. And we had like this amazing kind of seafood rice dish and a bottle of the Vigna Tononia. No, I'm lying to you. It was a bottle. Don't of the- lie to me. <laughs> I shouldn't lie to you. Um, the, one of the Chavites, um, it had had, okay, I think, a year or two in oak, but it was just a perfect pairing. It was just a perfect pairing. It just worked, you know, because... You see, that's exactly where I'd be having rosé all year round. Like, do you know what I mean? I'd make my own paella and I'd have some, you know, mussels and some chorizo. I know I'm breaking all the rules here, but like mussels and chorizo and chicken and all sorts. And uh, I love a rosé with that. Yeah, I mean, too too rich for a white or crisp white. And, you know, too light, especially with the seafood rice for your for your big reds. So a a Mm -hmm. rosé works, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of all that you can do. Well, I'm sure there there are plenty. I mean, there are people who are aging rosés and amphoras and all sorts of things, but that's kind of the basics as to the possible winemaking techniques for rosés. So here's the question from a consumer, okay? A consumer, a listener even. The deeper the rosé, the sweeter it is, true or false? Well, it was more or less that. I think what what you're getting at there is the darker the colour might insinuate more ripeness. And that can mean more sweetness or it might not. It might still be um, a dry rosé that's darker colour and, and some of those examples I mentioned the Mouvet from Bandal a Cab Franc um, you know an Anjou from Loire um, Anjou sorry from Loire that's made from Cabernet Franc um, they they can be dry but they can be darker and riper I mean I think darkness I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say if you're looking at a deeper colour you know the, the grape juice has had more contact with the skin has extracted more color and the flavor compounds in a grape, a lot of them lie in the just underneath the skins. So the longer the time that the juice has on, on the skins, the more flavor or sort of fruit concentration it will extract. So I think mm-hmm. it's safe to kind of assume, oh God, this is going to have more a, a more concentrated flavor profile, possibly more ripeness, more fruit. But it, that doesn't necessarily always mean that it's going to be sweet, like a sweet style, like with residual yeah. sugar. Um, I, but- I think ex- exactly what you said there. It's more concentration of flavors than people may expect from something like Provence style. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, do you know, Santa Digna, the Chilean um, wine, like the, they do a Cabernet Sauvignon. That's right. like the so so deep colored and it is actually the concentration of flavors like it's bursting with strawberries it's bursting with all of these kind of really intense flavors yeah. and it's the grape Cabernet Sauvignon thick skinned and the flavor is coming from within the skin be it you know how it's pressed or whatever but you're going to get the deep color and you're going to get the concentration of flavors so I you know 
sometimes your brain makes you think, oh, this is sweet, but it actually is probably fermented dry mm-hmm. or have a bit of sugar left, but it's more the flavor. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you think about the trends and how, you know, the pattern for rosés have evolved, has evolved over time. I mean, it started with your, your white Zinfandel, you know, your blush. And they were very much off dry, sweeter styles of rosés. Yeah. They were kind of like the hook. And now it's all about pale Provence style, like bone dry, almost saline rosés with really delicate flavor profiles. So it really has evolved. And I mean, the stats on this are quite interesting. According to a recent report, um, I think they said, yeah, they did. They said the U.S. rosé sales uh, in volume have increased by, listen to this, 1,433% from 2010 to 2020. Like That's a kind of a, a to get your head around. But I mean, it's massive. And and so I think it's worth asking the question, and maybe you have views on this. What has caused this huge increase in popularity for for rosés and for that particular style of rosé? Why are the rosés, and in particular the Provence style rosés, why have they gained you know in popularity so much? I think the rise of Instagram, starting off with you know take photographs of things that look beautiful and pretty. And, you know, rosé, pretty and pink, and you can lay it out all beautiful, which are all fab aesthetics, your picnic blankets, your little flower arrangements and all of this. And I just think that rosé is more of a, a pop of pink. Just it's pretty and it's fashionable and it's on trend and you kind of feel a bit cool. Have you heard of the term rosé? No. <laughs> Uh, boys who drink rose, apparently it's hashtag brose, B-R-O-S-E. <laughs> and where is that? Uh, so, is that a, huh? Is that, he, is that, where is that happening? Is that globally or? Yeah. Like, I mean, during the summer you see brose and uh, I personally never used it myself. It's something I came across when I was looking up hashtags for rose wine. But uh, yeah, like, I mean, oh, trends, Antonia. Like, is it a fad, this Provencal's? Provence style rosé or you know is it just the marketing is it the Hamptons that Whispering Angels sold out of completely and there was a panic because you're in the Hamptons and it's more lifestyle and luxurious and to be on trend or um, but I would drink it all year round like I mean and I probably suppose it's only in the market all year round over the last few years where it would have been definitely a wine that wine importers would, would only bring in during the summer months and try to sell here. Mm-hmm. So like I remember I've asked um, on social media to some wine shops how many rosé wines they're carrying right now. Mm-hmm. And the average was 10, Yeah, you know, and, and that's a lot. Whereas I suppose when I was working in retail a few years ago, you might have all year round three. It can be drunk all year round. Julia Child. Isles is famous for saying rosé goes with everything. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I agree with that. But yeah, Instagrammable, pretty in pink. And um, it does like what I was saying earlier on <laughs> that, you know, it's not that complicated to make. I think people think, well, you don't have to age it like a, a red. <laughs> it's slightly different than your kind of fresh acidic white. So it's that in between. So I just think it's appealing. I definitely think that carries that glamour factor. You know, it's it it has been endorsed by celebrities. It's being made by celebrities. Um, you know, there's a big marketing machine behind a lot of the Provence styles, and uh, and you know you see it in this 
yacht circles and the seafood cafes of the south of France. And, you know, it's kind of like... Do you know? You see it often there when you're around on your yacht, do you? Yeah, when I'm sailing around, you know, the... <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? I mean, I think it's obviously initially, I know you're talking about the brosé, but initially it's really been driven by female consumers. And I think it's that whole element of, you know, when you just want a little bit of escapism and just step out of your norm and you pour yourself, you know, a chilled glass of Provence rosé and you can imagine yourself maybe in a a glamorous time and place. You know, I think there is an element of that. It's a lifestyle thing. And um, also the trend towards lighter, brighter, um, sort of fresher styles of wine in general, in particular for reds you know, it kind of makes sense that people might fear towards rosé. Um, but I know people are saying and predicting rosé all year round. I know even in Decanter, there was an article talking about, you know, 2022 predictions, rosé all year round. As I said, I work in retail, you've worked in retail. I know that um, retailers are listing more rosés, but I have yet to see like a, any significant pickup in sales off season. For me, the, the the majority of the sales and this is in Ireland now in the Irish market it's it's probably different in the US and the UK but I don't see people coming in and buying a lot of rosé you know until we get to spring summer so that's just my okay, fair enough because in Ireland it wouldn't be the warmest and you know all year round either um I suppose the other thing um about you know wine in the past people would have thought that it was kind of an unsophisticated drink and maybe sweet and that's why they kind of didn't go near that because white is white and you know you can have your own oaked or oaked and your red is more of a robust style so rosé is that wishy-washy in between so it might have got a bad rap you know yeah. um but i think that that's changed with um you know the marketing of it and you know and the quality you know. increased oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the yeah. quality of a lot yeah. of things out there has increased and that's really done it you know favor so um yeah so linda you mentioned that we actually had a question around like pale colored roses are they better in quality yeah. like that is it yeah so basically it was are paler roses better in quality I just want to revisit this question. I know we touched on it earlier, but I want to revisit this because I think it's really important to highlight the fact that they are not necessarily better in quality. I mean, they're just a different style. And, you know, there are, I've read articles recently in an MW who sort of, she, um, Elizabeth Gabay is her name. And she, um, she was doing, she was part of the judging of, you know, best rosés from around the world. And she, she like she was quoted saying, a color has no relate, little or no correlation with quality. It just reflects a variety, like a grape variety or an origin or style. And she even said, like a few were, few of those pale colored rosés that she tasted were almost like water white with little fruit character. Um, you know, suggesting that it was more about appearance. And I think that that's worth highlighting because I have tasted, you know, Provence style rosés that have very little to them. I like that. They're kind of watery. They're kind of thin. They're lacking in any sort of flavor concentration. And and, and it goes back to what I mentioned there about, you know, um, the flavor compounds, a lot of them coming from just beneath the skin surface. Like if you don't have, if you're so concerned with color that you don't yeah. want it, your, your, you know, ma- any kind of maceration period on skins, you're going to sacrifice flavor, you know, mm-hmm. so, I do, think- yeah, but I think people didn't understand that, though. Is the thing? Yeah. 
fine. So, and and I know that a delicate wine can be an appealing thing and an attractive thing, you know. But sometimes you you want some flavor, you know. You you want some concentration. So I don't think I think it's just stylistically, you 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 know, it's nothing to do with this is better quality. Your paler rosé is better quality. It's just stylistically different. It's different in flavor flavor profile and concentration. And I think that's important to note. You said earlier that you always have a bottle of rosé in the fridge all year round. So what is the go-to? Okay, so I have two. Okay. Um, and I actually have mentioned both of them in previous episodes. Sorry about that. But uh, Le Colombette, is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Le Colombette. Um, it's only a 12, 13 euro rosé uh, Grenache. And I think it's really, really easy to drink. And that's one that's always, you know, in the house, usually in the fridge. And the Domaine Lafage mirror floor, again, that's when, you know, somebody might call over and I'd open a bottle of rosé because it's a bit pricier, a bit more complexity going on with the flavours and all that. And there too, that I would definitely always have kind of in the house. And yeah, happy to definitely recommend both of them again. And I tried them both recently and they're lovely. So, yeah. What about you? Have you got, I know you don't, you know, have it in all year round, but what'll be your, your <laughs> spring, summer sip of rosé in the garden when I call over next? Yeah. Well, I mentioned this one earlier. Um, it's the, well, Chivite, the producer. Well, I mean, obviously Chivite has a few, a few different uh, rosés in, in its portfolio, but this one is the one that, that um, is done in collaboration with Arzac. It's, it's in that beautiful oval shaped bottle. Um, I just love the Chivite rosés. I mean, they're kind of specialised in, in rosés. Um, you know, I think it's an old winery, a family-owned winery, and it's specialised in rosés. And this one, um, it has Chivite, and then on the back it has Arzac. Arzac, for people who don't know, is, is the uh, three Michelin star um, chef. I think his name is Juan Maria Arzac, and from Barcelona, somewhere around Barcelona. And they did it in kind of collaboration, a sort of the kind of rosé you would have with your food. And it's, mm-hmm. to me, it's not like, it's not far off a Provence style, but it just has a little bit extra. It's made from Temperanillo and Garnacha. Um, and it's aged for four months on the lees, so it has the texture. But um, as I said, it has a lovely red berry fruit. It has all the citrus, but it just has a little bit more concentration than you'd get from a Provence style. And uh, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I yeah. I had that with you. I had that with you in your house and I can't remember what we ate. Um, but the wine was delicious. Yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah. The other one that I think is worth mentioning, going back to this Provence style thing, is Miraval. We talked about before, but it carries a hefty price tag. That's the the Brangelina one, but it's little baby sister. studio. I love that one too. That that would be my yeah. That's going to be my new summer favorite. That might be in my fridge the whole year round as well. Now, right. um, it's about twenty two quid in Ireland, so. Yeah. Um, but that's gorgeous. That's really nice. Quiz time. So time for quiz, Antonia. Go. Are you ready? Yeah. Of course you are. Of course I am. There's only a few questions now, so don't be scared. <laughs> it's all okay. <laughs> yeah, I think you've nearly answered half of these in your little uh, research for this now. But anyway, which famous rock star has a wine with his son? It's Bon Jovi, isn't it? John Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi, what is its name? I don't know, actually. I can't remember. Okay, I actually thought the wine was called Hampton Water, but it's called Diving Into Hampton Water. Oh, okay. There you go. I, I um, 
Hampton something. Okay. Yep. Which winery has wines called the well, rose wines, obviously called the Pam and Rock Angel? Oh, Rock Angel is the same, is from Chateau de Clan, like the same as Whispering Angel. What's the other one? The Pam. I don't know that one. I haven't heard of the Pam. Yeah, the Pam, that's by them as well, as well as your, uh, what's the one that's oak age that's fabulous? The expensive one, what you call that one? Oh, the Garus. Garus. Yeah, what's um, apparently about that, that's the perfect gift to bring, um, where is it? To a host on a yacht, like if you were going to a party on a yacht, it's the perfect yeah. gift to bring. The Garus. which is like. Oh yeah, which would be about yeah. a, a million yeah. euro. <laughs> yeah. So that's the perfect gift to bring. Um, okay, so what name a very famous uh, sweet frizzante rosé? A sweet frizzante rosé. Like the kind of first that's still around and it's going around about 30, 40 years, maybe more. A frizzante? And a... In a funny shaped bottle. Are you, are you Mateus? Yes. Okay, uh, yeah, okay. Cool. Rosé. You told uh, me Sting's date night wine, wasn't it? Yes, it was Sting's date night wine. You were listening to me. There you go. Uh, right. Okay. Well, you didn't tell me that person. I read it about him. Who said, which famous chef said, rosé can be served with anything? I kind of told you a few minutes ago. What this? And why am I drawing a blank? Uh, who was it? You told me. Julia Childs. Oh, Julia Childs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one more. What's what's one of my favourite Mavedra based uh, wines from Bandol? Do you know? Oh, for God's sake! I mean, I know, I know, like I know you well, Linda, but that, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like Domaine Tempier would be my favourite, favourite, favourite. Never, um, never knew that. Well, I don't buy it that often because it's like forty five quid in Ireland. But uh, yeah, it's fab. That okay. will be if you want to make me very happy, anyone, anytime. It's birthday around the corner, so thanks for dropping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of my fave faves. Um, I think that's and again we mentioned uh, what what couple, what famous famous rose is at the center of a high profile couple in the middle of their divorce proceedings. Brangelina, and actually that's made me think of their. We talked about their his new champagne or their new champagne, Fleur de Miraval. Um, but we didn't talk about rosé sparklings, which I love, love, love. Um, yeah, I think that has to be though a separate sparkling conversation. Yep. Yeah. So excellent. Okay. Lots of food for thought, hopefully, in relation to rosés, and maybe encouraging listeners to branch out and try other. Other options. Um, yeah, it's nice to, it's the nice time of year to experiment with roses. Yes, and we love hearing from you. So pop us an email at ourwinepodcast at gmail.com and let us know what style you prefer and what you're drinking this spring summer. Yay! You want to sing with me? All right. Bye, folks. Bye. See ya. So what do you think? We do these podcasts because we want you, our listeners, to know what's going on in the world of wine and be informed when it comes to your wine buying decisions. We always love hearing from you. So let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Twitter. Sign up for our newsletter and if you haven't subscribed to Wine, the long and the short of it yet, make sure you do that wherever you get your podcasts. 
or reach out to us by email at ourwinepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. Cheers. Cheers. You have been listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future.